The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome everyone to our show today. We've got a great show. Um, We're going to be talking about uh, chronic pain and how to recover from pain, which I think is a great concept. Our guest today is Dr. Mel Pohl, who is Vice President of Medical Affairs and Medical Director of the Las Vegas Recovery Center, the only private medically managed inpatient detoxification and addiction treatment facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. He was a key force in developing the Las Vegas Recovery Center's Chronic Pain Rehabilitation Program, a fellow of the American Society of Addiction Medicine. He is Clinical Assistant Professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the University of Nevada School of Medicine a board-certified family practitioner, and a fellow of the American Academy of Family Practice. Dr. Pohl is a nationally known public speaker and co-author of Caregiver's Journey, When You Love Someone with AIDS, Staying Sane When You Care for Someone with Chronic Illness, and most recently, A Day Without Pain, co-authored by Mike Donahue, and the recently published Pain Recovery, A Comprehensive Opioid-Free Approach. So welcome, Dr. Pohl. And thank you so much for agreeing to uh, talk to us. Great to be here. Thanks, Mary. Um, in your book, A Day Without Pain, uh, you begin by talking about how why you wrote the book, which I think is um, pretty uh, reflective of most people's experience with chronic pain. So could you begin by sharing a little bit about why you wrote the book and your own experience? Uh, absolutely. I um, there, It actually was a, a coming together of two issues. One was... Uh, my own physical chronic pain uh, that started one afternoon for no apparently good reason. Uh, I bent forward and got a sharp pain in my back that radiated into my left leg, and uh, it's it's hurt ever since. Um, that was about seven or eight years ago, and I was sort of on my own personal quest to deal with it. Uh, and at the same time, I've been uh, running an addiction treatment program on and off for 30 years, uh, most recently at the Las Vegas Recovery Center, we have an expertise in in, uh, opiate dependence, uh, painkiller dependence. So we would see these people who are on very high doses of of strong medications. We would get them off successfully. So we detox people off methadone and Oxycontin and uh, fentanyl and and, uh, the hydrocodone and oxycodone preparations. And they would say, now what are you going to do about my pain? Because I was taking these medicines because of pain. And I would respond, I, I don't treat pain. I'm, a, I'm an addiction specialist. I've, I've detoxed you. Now go back to your pain doctor. And, of course, we know what happens at, at often, in that, and that's the case, if people have pain, they go back on their habit-forming medication. So we started this program for chronic pain, and I just started learning so much about uh, the ins and outs of, of chronic pain and, and specifically about the suffering that people uh, 
endure and that which makes pain worse. Uh, so I was sitting on the beach in Mexico and started writing the outline. <laughs> what a nice place to start a book. Yeah, it was a great place to start. <laughs> Very painful place to start yes. a book. Yeah. Although my back hurt because I was in a bad position in the the beach chair. <laughs> well, there's some justice in the world. That's right. <laughs> um, I think we, in your book you talk, about the difference between acute pain and chronic pain. And most of us, for pain is a warning signal when you have acute pain. But when you have chronic pain, sometimes you just don't even know where that, where it's coming from. Yes. Um, acute pain and chronic pain, they shouldn't even have the same word uh, because they are totally different processes. Acute pain, or in medical terms, is nociceptive pain. That's pain related to an injury or an anticipation of an injury, you know, God created our brains with a pain signal to protect us uh, and to minimize re-injury or worsening of a, of a problem. Acute pain goes away. Um, it serves its function, and then the pain subsides. Uh, you know, you slam your finger or you um, have a sore throat from an infection or, uh, I mean, appendicitis. Or there's hundreds of different kinds of acute pain. Uh, chronic pain, it, it doesn't goes on and on and on, and eventually the purpose of the pain is no longer the reason for the pain. So, so what I mean by that is, let's say you, you've injured your back. I injured my back. Um, I splinted my back. I took care of it. I rested, and the pain didn't go away. So it's like, you know, if you have an alarm clock that wakes you up, that's acute pain. You shut off the buzzer. You don't need it anymore. Chronic pain, it's like the buzzer just goes and goes and goes and goes, and it just becomes a a horrible annoyance, and it interferes with sleep, and it interferes with thinking, and it interferes with life in general. That's chronic pain. And I think um, from my perspective in terms of chronic pain, pain is so subjective, and I think that's another thing you talk about in your book. Yes. Um, it's very hard. It's not like we can't measure like the white blood count or right. the red blood count. Right. Pain is hard to measure. Pain's uh, Im- impossible to measure. I mean, we have some technology now with functional MRIs where we can see the brain light up in response to a painful experience. And when somebody has pain, it shows on the brain. But even that can't be quantified. And it's quite unrealistic to, to hook somebody up. So really... The, the experience of pain is how much pain are you in? And and the only barometer for that is to rely on the person's report. And the typical way to do that is on a scale of 1 to 10, how much pain are you in? Uh, some people say 20. And, you know, if, if they're my patient, I try and redirect them and say, well, you, you can't have a 20 on a scale of 1 to 10. Well, and it's a 10. Um, so, and, and your 10 is my, isn't necessarily my 10. Uh, and my... 10 on Tuesday when I'm at work isn't necessarily my 10 when I'm on the beach in in Mexico. So there's a lot of subjectivity to the experience of pain. So then how do we treat it if it's subjective? Well, um, the the best way to treat pain is to believe the patient. Uh, And and our our policy here is that all pain is real. What we've grown to learn uh, and what what I write about in, in, in both of my books is that what the the overall experience of pain so if, if pain is 100% of the experience 20% of that experience is the physical pain related to nerve irritation chemicals out of whack uh pressure on on bone uh in, in, inflammatory or, or irritation around tissue uh the other 80% is each individual's human response 
and and we refer to that as suffering. Um, and that's anxiety and fear and sadness and irritation and rage and uh, all the emotional baggage that comes along with the experience of pain. And so the the hundred percent is made up of maybe twenty percent of the physical experience and eighty percent of the emotional experience. In no way do I suggest that that eighty percent is any less significant than the twenty percent. It's it's all pain and it's all real. The issue is treatment of of the physical pain, which is what most doctors do and what most patients look for, um, is only twenty percent of the battle. If you don't deal with the emotions, they really they sort of rule and they end up taking over the experience uh, and medication just complicates that matter. Um, one of the other things that's mentioned in your, your book, um, A Day Without Pain, is that uh, pain is cultural or our response to pain is cultural. Yeah, it, It's cultural uh, so that it, depending on how you were raised, I mean my analogy is that I was raised in a Jewish household where it was not only appropriate but encouraged to whine. Uh, that, that's, that was the, the culture of my household. Um, there are some households where stiff upper lip is the, is the, the motto and people don't express pain. They do not, uh, they don't admit that they're experiencing pain. They sort of tough through it. Men experience pain differently than women. Uh, Asians experience pain differently than, than uh, Caucasians and the like. Um, uh, there's also a lot of other variables like circumstance. I mean, if I'm having pain at this minute and I'm on a radio show, I'm going to stay with it and I'm not going to deal with my pain. On the other hand, if I'm at home in bed, uh, I might be more cognizant of it and I might be more indulgent of my of my discomfort. Um, so context, uh, former experience can, can influence pain, uh, anticipation. So I'm sure this is going to make my pain worse. Uh, and a whole lot of emotional factors. And we'll be right back. If you have any questions about chronic pain, please give us a call. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Um, there's this girl I kind of like. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's women. Really? Well, they didn't call me velvet for nothing. I don't get it. Smooth. I was smooth. Oh. Anyway, it's easy. You just got to impress her. Show her how strong you are. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? I don't know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt, if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, Ugh! Try it. Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> See, there you go. And you should dress up. Start wearing a shirt and tie. I'll look like a dork. No, you'll look successful. Okay. 
And finally, you can start using my cologne. <clears throat> the ladies love it, so don't be shy. Splash it on. Thanks, Dad. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at adoptuskids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Janine Marks, a 12-year-old, was fairly normal. She spent a lot of time online. One day, she met a new friend. The new friend had the same problems at home. They liked the same bands. They worried about the same subjects in school. They promised to keep each other's secrets. They wished they went to the same junior high. The new friend had good news. He said he was going to be in Janine's area one Saturday. He thought it would be amazing if they could just hang out, go to the mall. Janine agreed. The new friend didn't want parents messing this up. Janine showed up alone. So did her new friend who wasn't in junior high, wasn't nice, and wasn't a 14-year-old boy. Every day, children are sexually solicited online. Help delete online predators. Call 1-800-THE-LOST or visit cybertipline.com to learn how to protect your kids' online life. A message from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and the Ad Council. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Today we are talking with Dr. Mel Pohl, who has written a wonderful book called A Day Without Pain. And yes, in fact, you can recover from pain. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. But before we went to break, we were talking about how how there's acute pain and chronic pain, how there is a cultural and gender response to pain. And um, my mother was a registered nurse. And basically, you know, you, you had to really have some appendage dangling before you could really talk about being in pain. And I kind of did the same thing with my own kids, only because it's like, oh, my God, they're in pain. What could it be? And it's easier to just not, you know, if it's really bad, it'll kind of rear its ugly head in a little bit. But, you know, you try to, sometimes you know too much. And so you try to balance that with uh, minimizing. Right, right. Uh, You know, I don't know that there's a right or wrong way to do this. Uh, one of the things that we teach here at Las Vegas Recovery Center and what I write about in both books is just really noticing what, what comes up, uh, just without judging it, without giving it a value judgment, without, uh, you know, sort of beating yourself up for what you're feeling. Just, I mean, I was raised the way I was raised. I, I listen to myself whine sometimes, and I get really angry at myself for being a wuss. But, you know... I, I mean, it's just the way I am, and there's there's not a good or bad to it. If I'm hanging out with somebody who doesn't like my whining, they can walk away. Um, when we're thinking about um, pain and, and this and it being so subjective, that um, how are we to judge in the addiction profession mm. when we have people who are in recovery from um, one substance or another whose pain threshold is probably impaired to, be, to begin with. And I know in growing up in the addiction profession, it was like, you know, 
people in recovery basically had to just tough it out. They were afraid to go get pain. Yeah, this is a very tricky area, and, and I'm not necessarily in the majority of physicians about this issue. Um, my approach to addiction is optimal addiction treatment is abstinence from all mood-altering chemicals, and that includes opiate painkillers and uh, anxiolytic benzodiazepine, Valium-like drugs and Ambien-like drugs and stimulants for ADHD and uh, marijuana and alcohol. So that's that's where I start, is that the best care for somebody who has addiction, because it's a loss of control disease, is to just eliminate all those substances from the, from the system. If you have pain, uh, the logical step in our culture is to take it away. That's 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 what we want. That's what doctors are trained to do. And the best painkiller, the strongest, uh, most reliable painkiller is an opioid. Uh, and opioids work in a part of the brain where rewards are experienced. And as you know, the reward center is what's deranged or, or abnormal in people who have addiction. So putting an opioid in somebody's brain who has addiction is really dangerous. So does that commit every... Uh, addict to suffer needlessly, you know, that's where the the argument starts. And, and I think there are many ways to deal with chronic pain, and, and we do that here at our center, that are free of, of opioids and other mood-altering chemicals. And in fact, what we've experienced is that we pull people off opioids. Uh, I mean, they come to us voluntarily and we detox them, and their pain gets better just by being off the drugs. And that's uh, related to a phenomenon called opiate-induced hyperalgesia. Opiates cause more pain in certain people. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean the pain goes away. So if you have lumbar disc disease, as I do, you have to learn to deal effectively with that pain. And, I mean, I probably have 20 different modalities that I personally use for my own discomfort uh, to be able to get through the day. Um, oftentimes, somebody will go for a tooth extraction mm-hmm. or for a root canal. Yes, and they'll get prescribed yes. um, a Percocet, yeah. you know, or something uh, post-surgery. Uh, um, that's another gray area for folks because some people will have absolutely no tooth pain and you can say to them, you know, you don't need to fill the prescription. And other people, you know, they're they're anticipating the pain. So by the time the um, yeah. local wears off, they're... they're Yeah, I mean, the story that I tell to patients is, you know, an addict goes to the pharmacy, gets a bottle of water, and takes four when they get the prescription filled because they know the Novocaine's about to wear off. So, you know, you're you're right. The anticipation of pain provokes more pain. Uh, The conviction that it's going to be bad makes the pain worse, and we have data to support that, behavioral studies that show that. Um, My rule of thumb for our clients who are opiate-free is that you will have an exacerbation of your pain from time to time. Maybe you won't, but most likely it will. And we actually, one of the chapters in the in the pain recovery workbook is what do you do when, when you get an exacerbation of pain? And uh, there's a whole plan that's involved. With respect to medication, it's take as little as you can for as short a period as you can and give the responsibility for holding those pills to somebody else. That's the, you know, whether they're locked up or somebody lives away and gives you three a day uh, as prescribed. Um, bearing in mind that whether you're taking them as prescribed or uh, taking them off the street, you're still subjecting your brain to the effect of the opioid in that reward center and 
it is not unlikely that you'll develop a craving for other drugs. Now, if you have to take them, you have to take them. So the the recovery part of the plan is, you know, have a have a sponsor in place and call that sponsor regularly and go to more meetings and talk about these issues at meetings and write about it and have a good spiritual program involved. You know, make sure all the areas around are, are sound. And then when you want to take a pill, ask yourself if you really need it. If the answer is yes, ask yourself again, do I really need it? And then ask yourself a third time and really look at what that's about. Drill down and, and you know, you have to know yourself pretty well to be willing to do some of this. It's much easier to just take the pill. Um, but if the answer is yes, then, then really getting some support from the outside to make sure that control isn't lost is really the key. And, you know, I think the other, I, I work with a man who's in long-term recovery, and he fell off a ladder this winter and um, ended up breaking nine ribs, oh fracturing God. nine ribs and puncturing his lung. And But because he was in recovery, he didn't want to take a lot of medication. Mm-hmm. So we had to practically order him into the emergency room because yeah. he just didn't want to go. And, yeah. um, you know, his... his uh, his lungs started to fill up. I mean, he he was really affected. But you know, his his biggest fear was, I don't want to go because I don't want to get you know, I want to get right. pain meds. Right. So um, that's the other extreme. You know? Yeah, and I I don't think that's a healthy extreme, especially with with fractured ribs. You know, you, you can have lung problems. So it's really a it's really uh, a, a tough decision, and it really should be one that's made in the context of recovery. If somebody doesn't have recovery, if they don't have a sense of connection to a program of recovery, the chance of doing badly in that context is very very high. If somebody does have a program of recovery, conversely, if they follow through with that program and really sort of tighten it up and beef it up, I, I, I know that people get through it. I see it all the time. I mean, we have people who do it. Uh, and, and the third thing I'll say is we had somebody in our treatment program who came in at an eight, was taking tons of Dilaudid for her pain, uh, got down to a three or a four average, and then did yoga and injured her back. And she was back up to a seven, seven and a half, and we didn't use opioids, and she lived through the exacerbation, and we used other modalities to help with the pain. And she got through it three or four days later, and her pain is down to a four. So she knew she could do that without high-dose opiates. Um, so it's really, it's a case-by-case basis. It's really about getting support around you to, when you make that decision. Um, in your book, you talk about no brain, no pain. Could you explain a little bit about the physiology of pain? Um, well, pain starts at the site of, let's say it's an injury, for example. So let's say you, you smack your finger in the door. So at the site of the pain, there is uh, there are chemicals secreted around damaged nerve. That message from those chemicals goes through the nervous system, so nerves go through the spinal column and up into the back part of the brain and the center of the brain, which is called the thalamus. The thalamus is the central processing station. Um, the, so the experience of pain is that, plus the thalamus is a part of the limbic system, so there's an emotional uh, component to that pain which is what we've talked about already, which is suffering. So if I crush my finger, I, my response within a, a, a split second is, ouch, and I know that the, my finger is throbbing, and I'm aware that it's, the pain is in my finger, but there's also distress that, oh, my God, I have to be on this radio show, and how am I going to do this, and, oh, crap, I'm going to lose my fingernail, and, oh, I hope I haven't broken it. You know, all the stuff that comes along with it. 
And then there's a number of behaviors of, of, that are in, in response to the pain, which are, uh, you know, I shake my finger or I walk to the ice machine and get some ice to put on it and I go and I take some Tylenol. And that's all happening in the frontal cortex part of the brain, which is the activity and, and thoughtful part of the brain. So that whole thing's going on, you know, as I said, in a split milliseconds. Uh, anybody who's had any experience in pain knows that. But it's all happening within the brain and then the, the message travels down the spinal column into the finger and says, you know, pull your finger out of that door. Silly. And so without a brain, we'd be pain-free? Well, yes, we'd also be life-free. <laughs> so you can't have life without pain. And, you know, as the Buddha said 2,500 years ago, you can't have life without suffering. Right, right. And unfortunately, in our culture today, suffering isn't tolerated very well. Well, that's it. You know, suffering is made worse by resistance. And the, the example I use is the, the Chinese thumb cuffs. You know, if you pull really hard, you can't get your fingers free. If you just relax, you slip it off. And we, as a as a culture, resist the experience of pain so much. And I find myself, I mean, my back hurts and I get pissed. That's, that's my response. And I send all this negative energy into my back. Uh, and my back hurts worse. So one of the things that I do as part of my pain recovery process is I just breathe and really become aware of what emotions I'm having and then I have some control and some power to take different actions and, and end up with different feelings. Uh, if we have no idea and it's just this hurts, get rid of it and I hate it, then, then, we're, then we're really on, in trouble. Right. Um, as with so many things, the more we resist, the worse it gets. Yes. We'll be right back with Dr. Paul. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for Co-Occurring Mental Illness and Substance Abuse Disorders. This is an important programming note from the Voice America Women's Channel. The Catherine Zoff Show is moving. Our new address is Voice America, and we will be heard on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, starting Wednesday, November 19th. All of the archives will still be available through Catherine's Boombox Player. Remember, tune in to the Catherine Zoff Show on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, beginning on Wednesday, November 19th, on Voice America's flagship Voice America Channel. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Dr. Mel Pohl about his pain recovery um, workbook and his new book, A Day Without Pain. Uh, oh, wonderful. Hello? Hello? Hi. Welcome Hi. to the show. What, what is your question for Dr. Pohl? I have a daughter with chronic pain, and she's been on a variety of different pain medications over the last seven years. None of them were opiates. We absolutely don't want to deal with those drugs. We've done everything from acupuncture to yoga. She's tried everything. None of the meds usually work for more than six months at a time because she has chronic migraines, which we really never diagnosed, you know, why she gets them other than possible stress and possibly due to fluorescent lighting. They started when she was in kindergarten. My question is, would the doctor recommend hypnosis? Because we're considering that as an option. How old is your daughter? She's 20. She's a nursing student. Uh, and how often does she get a headache? Um, daily. Daily. Since she was, um, actually, since she was five or six. And and they, the the diagnosis is migraines. Is that what they said? Migraines, but we've never really gotten to the the heart of it, other right. than possibly due to lighting, stress. Right. Right. Caffeine, chocolate, you know. Yeah, the yeah. Typical stuff they tell you. And she's taking migraine medications. The, she's uh, currently on Verapamil. She was on it when she was 15. It worked for about six months. Yeah. And yeah. then she's been on a variety of meds since then. We just put her on that again, and it seems to be working. But we know that they usually only work for about six right. months. Right, right. Then they sort of wear off. Well, exactly. it, I mean, obviously I can't do a diagnosis over the phone to you. Uh, your question was about hypnosis. I. Chronic headaches are a, a type of uh, condition that, that I refer to and that's referred to in the literature as central pain syndrome. So that really means, for one, some unknown reason, the volume on the pain center, that thalamus uh, limbic system pain center is turned up. Uh, people who have central pain uh, also have fibromyalgia sometimes. Uh, chronic headaches, irritable bowel syndrome. There's a phenomenon called reflex sympathetic dystrophy. Um, some people inherit a tendency to have an, a higher volume on that pain amplification system. Some people uh, develop it as a result of trauma, whether it's physical, emotional, or sexual trauma at an earlier age. Uh, and there's unknown causes of it. But the, the basic principle is what hurts one person is excruciating for another, and it's not related in any way to uh, being weak or, or, you know, there's no value associated with this, and that's really important when when we work with people with chronic pain. Um, Anything that can deal with the suffering part of the pain will be helpful for this condition. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to take it away. It doesn't mean it's going to make her headache-free, but uh, hypnosis is certainly a valid Methodology. I mean, we do a lot of meditative practice, um, and that's something that is easy to learn. Uh, there's a, a wonderful book and uh, CDs by a man named John Kabat-Zinn. Uh, he's a Ph.D. from University of Massachusetts, and he does a, a progressive body scan that we do with all of our clients here. And uh, it's just a matter of 
becoming mindful of your breath and becoming mindful of what's going on inside your brain. Um, so, and what, how do you spell his last name? Uh, Cabot. I think it's K-A-B-O-T dash Zin, Z-I-N. And you have a book out as well, and I know it's on the website yes. that advertises today's show. I think yes. I'm going to have to get that. Yes. I, hopefully it will help. But, you know, I'm, I'd certainly endorse tr- a trial of hypnosis, um, some sort of a therapeutic process where uh, she can really look at emotions and, and thinking processes because there's a whole lot of emotional overlay. And again, not to say it's not real pain, but just to say the kinds of things that will modify that aren't necessarily medication or uh, acupuncture, but really getting into some of the emotional stuff. So that's really what we're, it's at the emotional level now because you're right, all the other stuff hasn't worked. Yeah, it's pretty frustrating. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Good luck. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Bye. Bye. Um, I guess that's a really nice segue into the bio um, psychosocial model of chronic pain that you kind of use as a framework. Um, yeah, I mean, really, to, to, to simply go to a doctor and get medication is is uh, absurd. I mean, medication treats that 20%. It doesn't treat it terribly well, and actually it makes the other 80% worse. One of the things that we've seen in, in our time with, with people who have drug issues, and a lot of people who come to us don't identify as addicts, by the way. They just really see problems with their drugs. In other words, they're sedated from their drugs or uh, they're depressed because of their drugs. Their drugs where often they feel anxious, um, which doesn't necessarily mean addiction, but oftentimes what we find is that people are actually chemically coping with their overall emotions so they get afraid and they take a a percodan and they get angry and they settle down and then they take a valium and they get um they can't sleep so they take an ambient and you know before you know it you're coping with life with chemicals and you end up making the whole situation worse so biopsychosocial model means dealing with the body uh, but also dealing with the the physical issues uh and the mental and emotional issues uh, and spiritual issues that come up in association with chronic pain. So it's looking at how you think. I mean, the workbook's all about different exercises and uh, sort of black and white thinking or catastrophizing. Oh, my God, you know, I've I've crushed my finger and I'm going to get an amputation, you know, uh, or uh, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight because I hurt my finger or, you know, just the, the kind of ways we magnify things that have nothing to do with reality. Reality is... I smash my finger and it hurts. All the rest of it is related to thinking. And we can change the way we think. And that's part of the psycho uh, intervention. And then socially, people tend to really have very uh, pathological relationships as a result of chronic pain. The codependency that we know for addicts is magnified a hundredfold uh, with people who have somebody that they, that they care about who has chronic pain. There are actually studies that show that somebody watching another person have pain has the same brain experience as the person with pain. So that expression, I feel your pain, is very valid. Uh, So all of that has to be dealt with in order for somebody to sort of emerge with a a recovery process. I think it's really interesting, too, that when we think about um, chronic pain, I mean, when we think about addiction to pain medication, there are certainly those folks that have what we would consider a traditional addiction who, um, you know, might be, uh, you know, diverting their pain 
pills or they may be buying their pain pills. But then you have this group of people who have a medical condition that causes causes chronic pain. Yes. They end up getting prescribed poorly by their physician. Mm-hmm. And then they end up not only with chronic pain but with an addictive disorder that, that um, they don't even understand. Yeah. Yeah, um, we see it all the time. Um, a lot of people come to our center either for, just for detox or to come to detox and then go on the chronic pain program, and invariably they're really frustrated with their physician because they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. So it is the responsibility of the medical profession to let people know that these drugs are potentially habit-forming and what some of the consequences are of chronic use. Um, on the other hand, there are some people who have addiction that we've talked about, and uh, you know they they kind of ought to be suspicious that they might get in trouble, uh, and they're not going to meetings, and they're not they're not in their recovery. So this sort of sneaks up through the rearview mirror, and before they know it, they're hooked. Um, it, it really doesn't matter what underlies the problem. You know, if somebody has pain, they take medications. The medications either don't relieve their pain sufficiently or, more importantly, impede their function. Because really good pain treatment means decreased pain and enhanced function, making life better. If we're not doing that, then that's not good pain management. And if somebody's on an opioid and they're worse, and then they should be off the opioid. And what ends up happening is the vision narrows, and all we can see is I have pain right now, and I know what will take it away. It's my Percodan. So we continue in that vein because we just don't think we can do without. Well, and uh, as you had mentioned earlier, is that it, eventually that Percodan isn't going to take it away, and you're going to need right. more Percodan, right. and then you're going to need something else, and then you're going to have a cocktail. Right. And... um and that's really uh, dangerous. Right. And, and, you know, I just want to kind of underscore and highlight that it is a responsible, the responsibility of the medical profession to really take a long, hard look at this. Yes. I, I, uh, I just came from a, a pain meeting uh, with pain doctors. And uh, <laughs> as you can imagine, this message doesn't play quite as well with them as it does with with. Uh, uh, other groups. Uh, I actually was at the NADAC conference, which is the addiction counselor conference, where I got a standing ovation and <laughs> at the pain meeting where people barely talked to me at lunch. Um, so, uh, but, I, but I'm out there talking about it, and what I really, the, the message for pain docs is just start thinking about this stuff when you're writing a prescription. If you're going to start somebody on pain meds, you ought to be thinking about what you're going to do if they don't work. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean increase the dose ad infinitum. And that is not the way pain doctors are trained. Uh, I think there's, you know, the government's very interested in, in prescription drug abuse and overdoses and increase in, in hospitalization. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on physicians to prescribe differently. And, and hopefully they'll take, it, take away a message where they really are uh, watching out for uh, the well-being of the patient. And, and I certainly hope that that happens. My daughter is in her early 20s, and she had to go to get her wisdom teeth um, removed. So she went for a consultation to um, an orthodontist who, uh, just at the consultation, gave her a prescription for pain medicine, and she hadn't even decided she was going to have her teeth extracted by him. And it, and then it was like three months away. Yeah, exactly. I, I said to her, don't go to him. <laughs> 
Yeah, and you know, it's not because docs are villains. I mean, there, there's no question about that. But uh, you know, there are just some things that that, that shouldn't be happening, and uh, they happen. <laughs> Well, and I think in all fairness to the medical profession, they don't get really good training on prescribing. No, no. Uh, and on addiction. Uh, so it really, it's about, and this is another pet peeve of mine. So you, you get somebody in your practice, you, you prescribe these medications, they become physically dependent and perhaps addicted, and then you find out that they've done something that is, is inappropriate. Let's say they have cocaine in their urine or they're getting drugs from another doctor. And that's a violation of the contract between the doctor and the patient. So the appropriate thing to do is to say, hey, this is inappropriate. Let's work on what's going on. What they do is they, they fire them from the practice. I mean, that's unconscionable. You've created the situation and the person's doing what they know how to do, the only thing they know how to do, and you end up terminating their relationship with you. So I think that's that's not the best outcome. And I agree 100%. And we'll be right back. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh, there you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Ever seen a hornet, Shelly? No, ma'am. Oh, well, you're five. What are you waiting for? They've built a nest outside your window. See? No. You will when you climb 15 feet up this ladder to get rid of them. Take this insecticide and broom <laughs> and send those stinging meanies packing. What if I fall? I could get hurt. Oh, you know about gravity already. You're so smart. Oh, go, 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 go. The hornets are waiting. Uh, shoot! Get away! You wouldn't treat your child like an adult, so why put them in adult seat belts? If they're under four foot nine, they need a booster seat. I can't see! Are they biting me? Oh, that's so cute. No, honey, hornets don't bite, silly. They sting. Ow! For more information, go to boosterseat.gov. This message brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Department of Transportation. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor and sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor and sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back, thanking me for my concerns, and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may contain vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. This is our final segment with Dr. Mel Pohl, and we're talking about A Day Without Pain and his recovery workbook um, for pain, uh, coping skills, I would think. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, pain recovery, it's called. Right. <laughs> and how to cope with it. Right. Yeah. Um, can, can we just get into a little bit about the whole concept of recovery from pain? Yes. Um, when we uh, formed our program, we, we sort of began the process and we've learned a lot over over time. Um, we're, we're a 12-step based program so uh, the fundamental uh, impetus was for people to get involved in some sort of 12-step program uh, and apply the principles. Um, and we, we just over time, as I said, developed a concept of finding balance in an imbalanced system uh, and we break the the imbalance areas into four, uh, physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional, and realize that the more somebody is in pain and imbalance, the more suffering they have, and the more balance people find, uh, the less suffering, and, and we call that pain recovery. Um, the net effect of being in a, in a place of, of balance is that you can have healthy relationships, both giving and receiving, and then create a, a system of, of healthy actions. Um, so we, we really help people look at their imbalances. I mean, the obvious ones in the physical realm are that people are out of shape, they're, they don't exercise, they don't eat right, they smoke cigarettes, and all those things make pain worse. Uh, and we help people find a plan to create physical balance in, in all those areas. Uh, so we get people moving and we have people uh, stretching and exercising and dealing with core strengthening um, and, and all the physical modalities that are supportive of of chronic pain like acupuncture and massage and physical therapy um, and and the, each chapter explores similarly uh, emotions uh, and and thinking processes we talked a little bit about earlier uh, and finally spiritual uh, relationships and, and in no way is that a religious uh, program but just one where you can find a sense that, that there's something bigger than yourself I mean one of the things that I think helps our, our clients the most is that they actually see that there are other people in the world suffering in a similar or worse way. So they connect with those people, and they can help those people. So in our milieu, where we have people who are here for four weeks, 
the best thing I see is people that walk around with their pain recovery workbook and they sit down with a, a newer client and say, look, I, you know, I, I was just where you were and here's how I did what I did and here's how I got where I got. And you see the glow coming from both of them. I mean, that's, re- that's pain recovery. So like the woman who called earlier, her daughter who doesn't have an addictive disorder, would she yes. be a candidate for your program? Um, you have to have a, a chemical dependence diagnosis okay. to, to be admitted here. Uh, we've, we've had a number of people who want to come in, and our program is really uh, rooted in, in addiction treatment, and if somebody doesn't have a, a med- medical medication issue, we wouldn't be the right place for them. Okay. And in we didn't get much of a chance to talk about the secondary gain from pain. Yes. Um, well, secondary gain is usually unconscious. My secondary gain uh, if from my pain was uh, I didn't have to exercise. I had a perfect excuse to not go to the gym, to lie around, to eat, to watch television, do all the things that my slothful self wanted to do. Uh, if you came at me and said, you know, you're just using this pain as an excuse to not do what you have to do, I, I would have, you know, bit your head off because uh, that wasn't consciously what I was doing. But uh, as I was actually writing the book, I, I learned a lot about um, what drove me. And one of the things that drives our, our clients who come here that they'll tell me is, oh, well, when I uh, have my pain, it's a good justification for me to take my drugs. So there, there are things that are benefits to the person that they don't actually see, and they may not want to admit, but, but we, we really in, uh, encourage people to get in touch with what the secondary gains are because if they don't know them, they're driven to do these behaviors and they don't know why. Uh, you know, people think, I'd give anything to get rid of my pain, but in truth, some of me is attached to that pain because I get certain things as a result of it. Right. Well, you know, is I'm thinking as you're saying that, um, you know, well, I, I'm going to continue to smoke because that's the only time I get some relief, you know, yeah. or, I'm, or I'm going to now indulge and I'm going to eat and, yeah. and I'll put on weight, but that's okay because I'm not drinking, I'm not using drugs. And, and I deserve still, it, gosh darn it. But you're still activating the addictive part of the brain. Yes, absolutely. It's a vehicle that's, yeah. that's doing it. Yeah. So if people want to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, I have a blog. It's a daywithoutpain.com. Um, so people can read. There's a, a number of postings, and uh, I'm certainly happy to uh, get it, or to respond to, to questions. Uh, and they can call if they're interested in the center. Uh, the, the website is lasvegasrecovery.com. Or our 800 number is 800-790-0091. That's 800-790-0091. And uh, I'm happy to touch base with folks if they have questions. Are there any self-help groups that you know of that are focused on chronic pain and substance abuse? Uh, Not enough. Uh, We are actually, we've started a group called Pain and Recovery Support Group for our clients and the community. So there are two in Las Vegas that are occurring every week. Um, there is Pills Anonymous, and again, as with any 12-step program, it sort of depends on the city and, and the actual group. Um, we are going to have materials on our website to really offer for people so that they can actually have a kit and start their own 
pain and recovery support group, and it's really based on 12-step principles, a lot of the work that, that we've done here at, at the treatment program, and uh, as, as I'm sure you know, uh, having group process and, and really diffuses that sense of isolation, and it's, it's such an empowering phenomenon that uh, I would encourage anybody who has chronic pain to find other people with the same problem. And one place to go is Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, if drugs are an issue, there's a lot of people at NA and AA who have pain. Um, when someone leaves your center, do are they hooked up with, like, uh, if, if it's appropriate, a chiropractor, a nutritionist, um, a Reiki master, or um, a hypnotist? Yes. We, we do the best we can, and people come from all over the country. They're referred by uh, a variety of different sources, physicians, and treatment centers. Uh, we have a, a specialist here who calls... Uh, Communities will use family to, to help mobilize or a physician who referred or the treatment center that referred. If addiction's an issue, we'll try and set people up with an intensive outpatient program to follow the inpatient treatment. Uh, whatever modalities seem to have worked, we'll try and find a holistic center that would provide them. So uh, some people resonate to acupuncture versus Reiki. So but whatever has worked, we try and we, we try and find those resources in the person's home community. Um, it's a wonderful program. Thank you so much for sharing uh, Day Without Pain with us, and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Mary. You're welcome. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.